Shopify grows your business no matter how far or big you grow. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your fans' next favorite shirt or an exclusive piece of podcast merch, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash income now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. friends, welcome to the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Today's episode is titled Streamalikes because today we are recommending books that are like some of our favorite shows we've been binging lately. So if you like the show we are talking about, you should give those books a try and vice versa. If you like some of the books we mentioned, maybe we are sneaking in a show just for you. Before I hand things over to recording, Joe, I wanted to remind y'all that you can get a hold of us on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at ProBookNerds. You can visit our website, professionalbooknerds.com, or you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. And now let's get into the recommendations. Hello, everyone. You know from the intro that today we're talking stream-alikes, read-alikes for the shows we're currently binging. My guest today is a frequent flyer on the Professional Book Nerds podcast, and she's a part of our collection development team, creating amazing lists for libraries to share. It's Rachel Cray. Rachel, hi, hello. Hi, Joe. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm, I'm glad you can be here. I'm so excited to be talking books and TV with you because you give me the best recommendations around. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, me too. I always say for books and music are my first love, but TV is a very close third place. <laughs> and especially over the past couple of years, it's been a very large fixture in my consumption of media. So I'm excited to talk about the crossover between the, the two worlds. I love it. I'm, I'm excited and I hope our listeners are excited too. So I think we're going to do this episode a little differently than usual. We're going to start by introing the show that we were binged, and then we'll go through our lists. So Rachel and I only have one show in common this time around, uh, and that's our first show. So for that one, we'll do the kind of usual back and forth, uh, book by book. But then as we swap shows, I'll do a show, Rachel will do a show, just so everyone's on the same page with us. So let's dive into our first show. Our first show that we're both covering is RuPaul's Drag Race, along with its online related content. So for those of you who aren't familiar, RuPaul's Drag Race is a competition reality series where drag artists face off to win the title of Next Drag Superstar. 
Each week, the contestants compete in challenges to keep their place in the race. The winner of the challenge is safe for that week, while the lowest performing members, usually a bottom two, have to compete in a lip sync for your life to keep their seat in the competition. Drag Race started in 2008 and is still going strong with numerous spin-off shows and web series. We're currently on season 14 of US Drag Race, but there are six seasons of All Stars, three seasons of Drag Race UK, two seasons of Canada's Drag Race, two seasons of Drag Race Thailand, two seasons of Holland, and international All Stars airing right now. And then there have been seasons in Australia, New Zealand, Chile, Italy, and Spain, with additional seasons announced and filming for France and the Philippines. All of these uh, that have been listed, except for the Chile version called The Switch, are in production for additional seasons. So uh, if you love Drag Race and you love to watch it, you've already got plenty of content just in the shows. But what we want to talk about is uh, the web series. What drew us to this episode, the birth of all of this, is uh, and uh, that is hosted by two of my favorite queens, uh, prominently featured in my backdrop that none of our listeners can see, uh, Trixie Mattel and Katya. So they host a web show uh, where every episode they start with kind of a goofy intro. And I, I was trying to think of how best to describe it. It's kind of like a Jeopardy answer. It's it's almost like uh, the, the answer is given and uh, the question is always their name. So Rachel, how about you give us an example? Let's do one. Hi, I'm the book you picked up and immediately put back down, Rachel. And I'm the ebook loan you keep asking Libby to deliver later, Joe. That's, I'd say that's, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. And yes, I, I will go on record as saying Trixie and Katya are my favorite drag queens. I'm excited to dive into titles to talk about two books, one current and one upcoming by these two amazing, amazing humans. Drag superstars Trixie Mattel and Katya have long captivated fans with their stunning looks, on-screen chemistry, and signature wits. In Trixie and Katya's Guide to Modern Womanhood, which I read earlier this year and loved every second of, the pair channel that energy into old-school etiquette for ladies. So a really fun read. And one thing that I absolutely love about Drag Race is goes so much beyond watching the actual show itself, diving into all the content created by the different stars and different queens. And Trixie and Katya, they have so, so much content out in the world, which is wonderful for fans because it seems like there's a never ending. Yeah. I but I really enjoyed this book because it was additional content. It was stuff that I hadn't seen before on their socials or their YouTube channels or anything like that. So highly recommend for fans, super fans and newbies alike. And also coming later this year, which I'm super excited for is Working Girls, Trixie and Katya's Guide to Professional Womanhood. So it will be a satirical how-to on everything you need to know to get the job of your dreams and keep it. I I love them. I love them so much. And The Guide to Modern Womanhood is a book for everyone, number one. Uh, but number two, fantastic. The photos are gorgeous. It has been so long since I was like, the day a book of a book's release, I need to get to a bookstore. And I was in Columbus with one of my best friends. And I looked at my phone and there was the reminder of like, today's the day. And I was like, 
girl, where's the Barnes and Noble? Uh, I also think that's the day that I ran into Nina West at Target. So it was a, I know it was a wild day in Columbus. (laughs) Wow. What a day for sure. So I guess I will throw out my next title. We have a lot of books from Rue Girls. I'll say that first and foremost, a lot of them have written books and most of them have a funny spin, but one that I found really relatable was Release the Beast, A Drag Queen's Guide to Life by Bimini Bon Boulash. So Bimini is a queen from season two of RuPaul's Drag Race UK, and this is kind of a self-help, self-improvement title that tells the story of how drag took her from the brink of self-destruction to the main stage, as well as life lessons learned along the way from a conven- from convention-breaking icons like Kate Moss, all the way to the UK's Katie Price. Now, I wanted to share a quote from the book that really stood out to me, uh, just to kind of put some perspective on this title. Self-help books don't usually cater for people like me. They're usually written with a certain reader in mind, and that reader ain't queer, non-binary, or working class. So it really just gives you a sense of her voice, her attitude, and the fact that she's kind of putting herself out there and helping, you know, helping people that for the longest time haven't been represented in the kind of self-improvement sphere. Uh, so I, I feel like this is a book for more than just lovers of drag race. It's also just helpful for the queer community in general. Yeah, I have, um, I'm going to just rattle off three books by some of my favorite past season queens yeah. to, to just mention because they're also wonderful. So Blame It on Bianca Del Rio is uproarious advice and never before seen beautiful cover photos from drag queen extraordinaire Bianca Del Rio. And it's a cheeky, larger than life, outrageous comic. You know, people call her the Joan Rivers of the drag world who isn't afraid to shock or offend with her trademark wit and sharp commentary. I tend to really love the the comedy drag queens. That's the ones that I always root for and cheer for. So I was a huge fan of her during her season. And this book did not disappoint. Um, Another one that I love is Alaska, who had a book come out um, in late 2021 called My Name's Yours, What's Alaska? And it's a wonderful book, again, with beautiful photographs. And it's basically just her, you know, spilling the tea, if you will, on her rise from being a timid Pennsylvania kid to drag superstar. And it's a very, um, intimate memoir, just talking about her life that will appeal to, you know, her admirers and, you know, broader drag fans alike. Another favorite of mine from an earlier season was Willem, who many people know from the movie A Star Is Born. Yes. <laughs> A lot of others gone on to do wonderful things. And the book they wrote is called Suck Less, where there's a Willem, there's a way. And it has a hysterical forward from Neil Patrick Harris as well. So it's basically Willem graciously teaching us how you can suck less at a variety of things drag queens are so much better at than the average person. So again, all three of these books were pretty quick, fun reads that you know are also you know heartwarming at times and just beautiful pictures to look at. So highly, highly recommend if those were some of the seasons of Drag Race you loved and some of the queens you loved. Absolutely. You also did like a 
great order right there. That was seasons four, five, and six covered mm-hmm. in that span. I will go on record again and say Willem is also one of my all-time favorite queens. Uh, her YouTube channel has been a longtime source of entertainment, especially the beatdown. So my next title is Drag Queen of Scots, The Do's and Don'ts of a Drag Superstar by Lawrence Cheney. Now, spoiler alert, I mean, this season air did, uh, this season did air like two years ago, but skip like 15 to 30 seconds now. If you haven't watched Drag Race UK season two yet, I'll wait. Okay, Lawrence wins season two of Drag Race UK. Wow. I've never actually cared when I've given a spoiler alert about something until Drag Race. I I think that's the thing that like, no, I don't want to spoil that for anyone. Anyway, (laughs) this is Lawrence's autobiography where they share heartfelt and candid moments from being bullied as a child to what it's like dating as a drag queen. And Lawrence just gives us insight into their overall journey toward acceptance and better mental health. Um, I think I really appreciate Lawrence's perspective on this because their season of UK was filming as the pandemic was happening. And there is a break in season two of Drag Race UK where they are, they leave the, they all leave the competition and shut down because of COVID and return later. And Lawrence at the beginning was so confident and that period of lockdown brought them down a bit. So really just kind of seeing the way that uh, that affected them on the show was also really interesting to see it kind of in words. And then I also wanted to include this celebrity poll quote because it's so fitting and yet does absolutely nothing to describe the book. It's a quote from RuPaul, and uh, it is, it's no mystery or secret how much I enjoy Lawrence Cheney. Like, great thing to be able to put on your book, but how did that help, Ru? For sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I still haven't watched Drag Race UK. So hearing about all of this definitely makes me want to check it out. Um, The next one that I wanted to talk about was for specifically for people who love the show and are familiar with the show and just fans of queer culture in general is Legendary Children, the first decade of RuPaul's Drag Race in the last century of queer life by Tom Fitzgerald. So this book is the ultimate guide to all things RuPaul's Drag Race and its influence on modern LGBTQ culture. Legendary Children centers itself around the idea that not only is RuPaul's Drag Race the greatest, queerest show in the history of television, which is true, but that RuPaul and company devised a show that serves as an actual museum of queer cultural and social history, drawing on queer traditions and the work of legendary figures going back nearly a century. So must read book for any fans of the show and any fans of queer culture that wants to for people that just want to learn more about queer culture, I'd highly recommend this book and Drag Race in general as a kind of a gateway into learning more about the culture. It is amazing to think of Drag Race as kind of like a time capsule of queer history, because so often we joke like, oh, Rue's still referencing this one joke from the 60s. But we all need to learn that, kind of see where we're coming mm-hmm. from. Uh, and I Absolutely. love I love this book. Um, I am going to wrap up my kind of Rue Girl books uh, with Why Drag by Magnus Hastings. This one has been out for a while, May of 2016. And if you're familiar with Drag Race, you've probably already seen the cover. It's got Courtney Act shaving her face. Um, 
And this is the perfect coffee table book. It includes queens from all over the world with uh, beautiful photos of them and their short explanation of why drag. So why do you do drag? What does drag mean to you? Things like that. And it's just a great way to appreciate the art form of drag. And it's interesting to pull out and see how much the queens have changed since it's from 2016. Uh, so comparing them then to like their Instagrams now. Love it. Um, the last one that I wanna recommend is a bit of a change of pace. It's a YA fiction novel that I loved that came out years ago and it's Dumplin' by Julie Murphy. Yes. So it's a number one New York Times bestseller and just a really amazing feel good YA book about Willow Dean Dixon, a fearless, funny and unforgettable heroine who takes on her small town's beauty pageant. So self-proclaimed fat girl Willow Dean Dixon dubbed Dumplin' by her former beauty queen mom has always been at home in her own skin. Her thoughts on having the ultimate bikini body, put a bikini on your body. So it's a wonderful story about her, as I mentioned, joining this small town beauty pageant and a wonderful cast of drag queens plays a role in helping Dumpling in her quest in life. And I did wanna mention that this was turned into a Netflix movie with RuPaul's Drag Race fan favorite, Ginger Minge makes an appearance and has a wonderful part in that movie. So highly recommend the book for just fans of drag in general. Just always good to toss in a YA recommendation for everything. Always good to have YA on deck. And there you go. Everyone got a free uh, bonus thing to stream as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. So my last title is Diary of a Drag Queen by Crystal Rasmussen. So this one's an autobiography for you, and it's written by Tom Rasmussen with immense help from his drag alter ego, Crystal. In these pages, you'll find glamour and gaffes on and off the stage, clarifying snippets of queer theory, terrifyingly selfish bosses, KFC binges, sex, the kind of honesty that banishes shame, glimmers of hope, blazes of ambition, more sex, mad dashes in last night's heels, plus a face full of makeup and a rom-com love story for the ages. This is where the unspeakably, unspeakable becomes celebrated. This is the diary of a drag queen. One dazzling, hilarious, true performance of a real, flawed, extraordinary life. All right, so I am going to switch shows on everyone now. Uh, my first show that I've been binging recently and my read-alikes for it is the TV show Arcane. So Arcane is an animated action adventure series on Netflix. It's set in the League of Legends universe. That's a video game franchise that's pretty popular. And it focuses on the sisters Vi and Jinx. So amidst the escalating unrest between the rich utopian city of Piltover and the seedy oppressed undercity of Zaun, sisters Vi and Jinx find themselves on opposing sides of a brewing war over clashing convictions and arcane technologies. Fun if you want to try something animated, it's a great place to jump in. But if you enjoyed arcane, here are some books for you. I'm going to start off with a trilogy, and I'll start with the first book, uh, but I wanted to mention the final title in the trilogy is coming out of June this year, and that is the Foundryside Trilogy by Robert Jackson Bennett. Book one is called Foundryside. 
In a city that runs on industrialized magic, a secret war will be fought to overwrite reality itself. Santia Grado is a thief and a damn good one. Her latest target is a heavily guarded warehouse on Tavane's docks, and it's nothing her unique abilities can't handle, but unbeknownst to her, she's been sent to steal an artifact of unimaginable power and an object that could revolutionize the magical technology known as scribing. So the merchant houses who control this magic, um, they use a lot of different like coded commands to imbue everyday objects with power and sentience, have already used it to transform the land into a vast, remorseless capitalist machine. But if they can unlock the artifact secrets, they will rewrite the world itself to suit their aims. So someone in the house wants her dead and the artifact for themselves, and the city has no one strong enough to stop this mysterious figure. So to have a chance at surviving and stopping the deadly transformation that's already underway, Sansia will have to marshal unlikely, unlikely allies, learn to harness the artifact's power for herself, and undergo her own transformation, one that will turn her into something she could have never imagined. The next one, another series for you. So this is the Tale of Ketty J series. It's by Chris Wooding, uh, and book one is called Retribution Falls. It's a four-book series that follows a sky pirate, Darian Frey, who doesn't necessarily have what it takes to make it in the sky pirate business. And basically, the world hasn't been kind to his airship called the Ketty J or its crew. Everyone's running from something. One of the crew members is a demonist in hiding, traveling with an armored golem. Uh, Jez is the new navigator, and she's desperate to keep her secret from the rest of the crew. Malvary is a disgraced doctor drinking himself to death. So basically, when they have the chance to steal just they're they have a chance to be pirates. They're stealing stuff from a vulnerable airship. They can't pass it up. It seems easy, and he'll finally be rich. They can all kind of like go have better lives. Uh, but the attack goes horribly wrong, and he finds himself the most wanted man in the land. He's trailed by bounty hunters, century knights, and the dread queen of the skies. So Frey realizes his crew has been set up to take a fall. They don't know why. And the ultimate answer may lie in the legendary hidden pirate town of Retribution Falls if they can make it there without getting blown out of the sky. My last title is The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry by C.M. Wagoner. So Delaria Wells is a petty con artist, occasional thief, and partially, partially educated fire witch, and she is behind on her rent in the city of Lescourt again. Then she sees the help wanted sign, seeking female persons of martial or magical ability to guard a lady of some importance prior to the celebration of her marriage. Delhi fast talks her way into the job and joins a team of highly peculiar women tasked with protecting their wealthy charge from unknown assassins. Delhi quickly sets her sights on one of her companions, the confident and well-bred Wynn, and the job looks like nothing but romance and easy money until things take a deadly and undead turn with the help of a bird-loving necromancer, a shape-shifting schoolgirl, and an ill-tempered, reanimated mouse named Buttons, Deli and Wynne are determined to get the best of an adversary who wields a twisted magic and has friends in the highest of places. So we've got some queer romance, we've got sci-fi, a lot of fun things in The Ruthless Lady's Guide to Wizardry. That sounds awesome, Joe. Thanks so much for sharing those. I've 
I don't watch a lot of animated TV shows, but that seems like one I would absolutely be interested in. So Rachel, what's your first show? Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to take a drastic swing here and talk about (laughs) my first show, which is Succession on HBO, which I know has been talked about a lot recently, but I've binged the first seasons one through three more than once over the past year because I'm pretty obsessed with this show. So those of you that aren't familiar, Succession is on HBO and it's won a bunch of Emmys and it's power, politics, money. All in the family in this provocative, funny series about a highly dysfunctional dynasty. So it's about mm. the um, the Roy family and the patriarch of the family runs this media empire, and he's got four kids that are amazing and terrible at the same time. Okay. And there's all this drama surrounding on who's going to take over the family empire uh-huh. when the patriarch Logan eventually retires. It's, it's, I personally think the show has everything from intense drama and parts that are funny. I don't know if they're supposed to be funny, but most, you know, normal people that aren't billionaires find it kind of hysterical. And the acting is on another level with the writing too. The entire show is absolutely so well done. Cannot recommend it enough. So a couple books, if you're like me and you've binged all of succession and are anxiously awaiting the fourth season. Here's two books that should tide you over and all kind of in the same vein. So the first one I wanted to talk about is The Heirs by Susan Rieger. And it was named one of NPR's best books of 2017. So fans of Salinger stories about Manhattan's elites will enjoy this novel about privileged siblings who grapple with the state of their inheritance and long held family secrets that emerge in the wake of their father's death. So six months after Rupert Fultz dies, leaving a grieving widow and five adult sons, an unknown woman sues his estate, claiming that she had two sons by him. So the Fultz brothers are pitched into complete turmoil, missing their father and at the same time feeling totally betrayed by him. And in a sharp contrast, their mother is pretty cool and and calm and collected about learning this news. And so I don't want to get too many spoilers about that. So it's just a, you know, a riveting portrait of a family told with compassion, insights and wit. So similar to kind of the struggles of the the Roy kids in succession Mm -hmm. dealing with this, it wrestles with the tangled nature of inheritance and legacy um, for one unforgettable patrician New York family. So definitely recommend the heirs. Um, The next one I wanted to talk about is a little bit different. And this one is more on the comedy side of things. So if you watch Succession and laugh at these people (laughs) more than empathize with them, which I think would be most people is um, Family Trust by Kathy Wang. It's a globetrotting whirlwind tragic comedy family saga that rings tears from absurdity and laughter as and it's a joy from start to finish. So meet Stanley Wang, father, husband, ex-husband, man of unpredictable tastes and temper, aficionado of all-inclusive vacations and bargain luxury goods. So newly diagnosed with pancreatic cancer as well. For years, Stanley Stanley has claimed that he's worth a small fortune, but the time is now coming when the details of his estate will finally be revealed. And Stanley's family is 
nervous. Mm. So as his death approaches, his family are faced with the unexpected challenges that offend them and eventually lead them to discover what they most value. It's a compelling tale of cultural expectations, career ambitions, and our relationships with people who know us best. Um, it's family trust skewers, the ambition and desires that drive Silicon Valley and draws a sharp, loving portrait of a modern American family. So if you like a book where on one page you're laughing hysterically and then a few pages later you're kind of crying because you're choked up, this is definitely one you want to check out. Perfect for fans of Succession. So Joe, did you have another show you wanted to get into? I do. Uh, my next show is Lock and Key. It is a fantasy horror drama TV series. Also, once again, on Netflix. And it's based on the comic book series of the same name, Lock and Key, written by Joe Hill and illustrated by Gabriel Rodriguez. So after her husband is murdered at the hands of a former student, Nina decides to move her three children from Seattle to Matheson, Massachusetts, and take residence in her husband's family home, Key House. The children soon discover a number of mysterious keys throughout the house that can be used to unlock doors, boxes, objects in magical ways. They soon become aware of a demonic entity that is also searching for the keys for its own malevolent purposes. So naturally I could mention the series Lock and Key because this was a six volume graphic novel that was adapted into this show. Uh, but just in case you watched and, in and enjoyed Lock and Key and then you read and enjoyed it, I wanted to also give you some other options. So the first one, Joe Hill, I want to say Lock and Key was like his first foray into the graphic novel space, but he is a pretty well-established writer. So while I'm not taking time to talk Lock and Key, I wanted to bring up one of his other books. It's titled Full Throttle, and it's a collection of 13 relentless tales of supernatural suspense. Two of the stories here are co-written with Stephen King, one of those being In the Tall Grass, which was also adapted to a movie on Netflix. Uh, so if you really want a lot of back and forth book and movie content, you got that as well. But if you're a fan of short stories and need a little haunt, this is a great collection. And the book really kind of reads like an adult version of scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. And if you don't mind, Joe, Please. I want to give a plug for the audiobook version of that title because they got some really fantastic you know, celebrity actor narrators that do each of the individual stories. So that was a really perfect audiobook, in my opinion, because it was short stories. So while it is a long book, you can break it up into right. the different sections. And each one has a different voice that you're probably familiar with. So perfect for audiobook horror fans. Definitely recommend that one. Thank you for that, because I am usually the one out here screaming in the streets about how much I love audiobooks. And this is one I actually read instead of listened to. And now I'm mad that I didn't listen to it. So I'm going to go do that. <laughs> hey, I'm a big fan of reading the book and then listening to the audiobook or vice versa, because sometimes it's a totally different experience. It's crazy how much it can change just between... Uh, read or, or listened. So then my next book is The Grand Hotel by Scott Kenimore. And this is, I want to say if Full Throttle was 
short stories. Uh, the Grand Hotel is kind of like interconnected vignettes. You're taking a pause to look at each, you know, kind of different story and find how they all come together in the end. So the Grand Hotel takes the reader on a thrilling ride through an interconnected series of stories narrated by the desk clerk and the residents of the hotel itself. And while it's not known whether the, de the desk clerk is actually the devil incarnate, it is strange that so many visitors who come for a tour of the hotel have a way of never leaving. So as the narrator takes you deeper and deeper into the heart of the hotel, secrets that have been hiding for eons begin to show themselves. If you haven't gotten it already, lock and key, kind of spooky, <laughs> very much kind of spooky. So we're, we're just kind of working our way through some, some creepy options here. Now, my last one, I figured I had to give a comic graphic novel series to a show that was based off of a comic series. Uh, so this is The Stuff of Legend by Mike Raitt and illustrated by Charles Paul Wilson III. This is a four graphic novel collection. There are four titles that kind of break up this story and it all takes place in the year 1944. So as allied forces fight the enemy on Europe's war-torn beaches, another battle is beginning in a child's bedroom in Brooklyn. When the boogeyman snatches a boy and takes him into the realm of the dark, the child's toys, led by the toy soldier known as the Colonel, band together to stage a daring rescue. On their perilous mission, they will confront the boy's bitter and forgotten toys, as well as betrayal in their own ranks. Can they save the boy from the forces of evil, or will they all perish in the process? It's like a dark, alternate universe version of Toy Story. <laughs> Love that dark alternate universe version of Toy Story. That's perfect. I'm always a big fan of spooky books year round as well. Oh, gotta love it. So your next show is is all over my Twitter feed. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, very much. I am sometimes a bit of a bang, bandwagon TV show watcher because I do enjoy following along with, you know, the commentary on social media mm -hmm. and sort of watching I think there's a certain sense of, you know, watching as a community, if you will, and everybody yeah. talking about things that I really buy into and love. So obviously I feel like we're going to talk about euphoria at some point during this <laughs> podcast. So those of you who haven't watched it yet on HBO, euphoria follows a group of high school students as they navigate love and friendships in a world of drugs, sex, trauma, and social media. I won't get too far into the details of the show to avoid spoilers. But one thing I really do appreciate and love about this show is the cinematography. I've never seen a high school show mm -hmm. done with the level of care and detail in the filming as this one, as well as the writing. So I have three books I wanted to recommend for people like me who are anxiously awaiting episodes week to week. So the first one is The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chopsky, which was one of my favorite books when I was younger. And this book is a critically acclaimed debut novel following observant wallflower Charlie as he charts a course through the strange world between adolescence and adulthood. First dates, family drama and new friends, sex, drugs, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Devastating loss, young love, and life on the fringes. Caught between trying to live his life and trying to run from it. Charlie must learn to navigate these this wild and poignant roller coaster known as growing up. 
So if you're somebody who watches Euphoria and loves the character of Lexi, what definitely a book for you. The next one I wanted to talk about is um, It's Kind of a Funny Story by Ned Vizzini. Ambitious New York City teenager, Craig Gilner, is determined to succeed at life, which means getting into the right high school to get into the right college to get the right job. But once Craig aces his way into Manhattan's executive pre-professional high school, the pressure becomes unbearable. He stops eating and sleeping until one night nearly kills himself. His suicidal episode gets him checked into a mental hospital. There, Craig is finally able to confront the sources of his anxiety. And the author himself actually did spend time in a psychiatric, um, psychiatric hospital. So it's a very realistic, incredibly moving tale about the sometimes unexpected road to happiness. So if you identified with some of the characters in Euphoria dealing with you know, challenges like ruse addictions and other things like that, I definitely recommend this one. The last one I wanted to talk about is Train Spotting by Irvine Welsh, which was also a very popular movie years ago. And it was first published in 1993 and it's set in the late 80s. And it takes the the book is effectively a collection of short stories revolving around various residents of Edinburgh who either use heroin are friends with the core group of heroin users or engage in really destructive activities that are effectively addictions themselves. So if you enjoy the grittier episodes of Euphoria, that you'll enjoy this novel that explores the lives of addicts. So if, you know, Rue's storyline dealing with her addiction is something you find compelling and want to dive into more stories about that, definitely recommend Train Spotting. But I will say that this is a, a a gritty book. So if you watch Euphoria and tend to fast forward through those storylines or those ones upset you, don't read this book. But if that's the thing you like to read about, highly recommend it. Perks of Being a Wallflower, I finally read for the first time in the pandemic. I mm. it had it was one of those that had like always been on the list and people around me while I was growing up were reading, but I never I I just never got around to it. And another, I I mean, they all kind of encapsulate the kind of like three types of Euphoria episodes. So yeah, when I was first watching Euphoria, I remember thinking, I was like, I bet the writer and creator of this show really loved this book 20 years ago. I would put money on that he did. And it was a big influence on the show. I I fully see that. So my next show, I know we've mentioned it in other episodes of the pod just here and there, and it is a touch meta to reference a show about podcasting on a podcast, and then some of my recommendations to have books that have podcast or media elements in them, but I truly couldn't resist. Uh, This is Only Murderers in the Building, and the first season premiered last year on Hulu, and the show follows three strangers who share an obsession with a true crime podcast. After a suspicious death in their New York apartment building, the Arconia, the three neighbors decide to start their own podcast about their investigation of the death, which the police ruled a suicide. So we've got a new series uh, that started last year, new book just released in February. It's the Finley Donovan series. And this one is Finley Donovan Knocks Him Dead by El Cosimano. So like I said, this one just released in February and it picks up in that campy way only mystery titles seem to be able to where Finley Donovan is killing it left off. 
So once again, Donovan is struggling to finish her next novel and keep her head above water as a single mother of two. But on the bright side, she has her live-in nanny and confidant Vero to rely on. Um, And the only dead body she's dealt with lately is that of her daughter's pet goldfish. On the not so bright side, someone out there wants her ex-husband Stephen out of the picture permanently. We're talking sleeping with the fishes like her daughter's goldfish. Um, And whatever Stephen may be, he is a good father. So saving him is on kind of on her to-do list. So it sends her down a rabbit hole of hit women disguised as soccer moms, a little bit more involvement with the Russian mob than she'd ever like. And while she's navigating trying to keep her ex-husband alive, her confidant Vero is keeping secrets and detective Nick Anthony seems to be determined to get back into her life. With her next book's deadline looming and an ex-husband to keep alive, Finley is quickly coming to the end of her rope. She can only hope there isn't a noose at the end of it. And my next one is Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero. If that immediately made you think of Scooby-Doo, you are correct. If you love Scooby-Doo, this scratches the itch. It is Scooby-Doo meets Eldritch Terrors. So in the summer of 1977, the Blighton Summer Detective Club of Blighton Hills in Oregon's Zoinks River Valley solved their final mystery and unmasked the elusive Sleepy Lake Monster, another low-life fortune hunter trying to get his dirty hands on the legendary riches. And he would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for those meddling kids. So then flash forward to 1990, where the former detectives have grown up and apart, and they're each haunted by disturbing memories of their final night in the old haunted house. There are too many strange, half-remembered encounters and events that can't be dismissed or explained away by a guy in a mask. And Andy, the once intrepid tomboy, now wanted in two states, is tired of running from her demons. She needs answers, and to find them, she will need Carrie, the one-time kid genius and bubbling biologist, now drinking her ghosts away in New York with Tim, an excitable Weimariner descended from the original canine member of the club. They'll also have to get Nate, the horror nerd who's currently residing in an asylum in Arkham, Mass., Uh, Luckily, Nate has not lost contact with Peter, the handsome jock turned movie star who was once their team leader, which is remarkable considering Peter has been dead for years. So the time has come to get the team back together, face their fears and find out what actually happened all those years ago at Sleepy Lake. It's their only chance to end the nightmares and perhaps save the world. And then my last one is Sadie by Courtney Summers. So when a popular radio personality, West McRae, receives a desperate phone call from a stranger begging him to find a 19-year-old runaway named Sadie Hunter, he's not convinced there's a story there. Girls go missing all the time. But when it's revealed that Sadie fled home after the brutal murder of her little sister, West travels to the small town of Cold Creek, Colorado to uncover what happened. Sadie has no idea that her journey to avenge her sister will soon become the subject of a blockbuster podcast. Armed with a switchblade, Sadie follows meager clues, hoping they'll lead her to the man that took her sister's life because she's determined to make him pay with his own. As West traces her path to the darkest, most dangerous corners of big cities and small towns, a deeply unsettling mystery begins to unfold, one that's bigger than them both. We basically get to Uh, swap between Sadie's unflinching voice as she hunts the killer and then the podcast transcripts that are kind of uh, tracking the clues she's left behind. This is just like a breathless thriller um, about the lengths we go to protect the ones we love. And I loved 
that audiobook. The way they transitioned between the podcast and then the narrative storyline was yes. brilliant and made for such wonderful listening. Highly recommend. It is a fantastic listen. So you've got another popular show for me. I do. Again, <laughs> totally being a bandwagon TV watch. We're going to talk about Squid Game. I know people are probably sick of hearing about it. So if you're like me and just want more Squid Game, I have some books that you might enjoy. So those of you that don't know, Squid Game was a popular um, South Korean drama on Netflix last year where hundreds of cash-strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games. Inside, a tempting prize awaits with deadly high stakes. Not gonna give any spoilers, but highly recommend watching. Um, The first novel I wanted to talk about was one that I actually read for a book club that I'm in, and it's called The Plotters by Unsung Kim. So this would be for fans of people who really enjoyed seeing a glimpse into, you know, South Korean culture while watching Squid Game. So this is a fantastical crime novel set in an alternate soul where assassination guilds compete for market dominance. Behind every assassination, there is an anonymous mastermind, a plotter working in the shadows. Plotters quietly dictate the moves of the city's most dangerous criminals, but their existence is little more than legend. So it's crackling with action and filled with unforgettable characters. The Plotters is a deeply entertaining thriller that soars with the soul, wit, and lyricism of real literary craft. This was a really fun audiobook to listen to as well. The next book I wanted to talk about seems kind of it's almost a little too on the nose as far as Squid Game goes. But That's okay. again, if it's something that you really enjoyed and you haven't read this yet, I think that would be the perfect time is The Running Man by Stephen King, which was, you know, a movie mm-hmm. in the 80s. But a desperate man attempts to win a reality TV game where the only objective is to stay alive in this number one national bestseller from Stephen King, even though he wrote this as Richard Bachman. So if you're searching for it and can't find it under Stephen King, this was a Richard Bachman title. So it was the ultimate death game in a nightmare future America, even though future America at the time of this writing, it's the year 2025, uh. which is only three years away, <laughs> which is horrifying. But there's also a part of me that's like, yeah, maybe we'll be there in three years. Who knows? So the year is 2025 and reality TV has grown to a point where people are willing to wager their lives for a chance at a billion dollar jackpot. So essentially the plot of Squid Game. And also RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> and also RuPaul's Drag Race, yes. <laughs> So Ben Richards is desperate. He needs money to treat his daughter's illnesses. His last chance is entering a game show called The Running Man, where the goal is to avoid capture by hunters who are employed to kill him. Surviving this month-long chase is another issue when everyone else on the planet is watching and willing to turn him in for the reward. Each night, all Americans tune in to watch. So far, the record for survival is only eight days. Can Ben beat the brutal odds, beat the rigged game, and beat the entire savage system. He's betting his life that he can. And with an introduction by Stephen King on the importance of being Bachman, The Running Man is a terrifying novel about the eternal fight of good versus evil. 
So the next one I wanted to talk about was a book that I read in one sitting a couple years ago and absolutely was obsessed with. And it was one that I immediately went to work the next day and was like, okay, everybody stop what you're doing. I have to tell you about this book. Yeah. It's called The Last One by Alexandra Olivia. Wilderness survival is the name of the game as this line blurs the reality between TV and reality itself. Oh. It's a fast-paced novel of suspense, so similar to Squid Game, but also maybe like a Yellow Jackets mm-hmm. too, if you liked that show. Yep. So the character, the main character, wants an adventure. She never imagined it would go this far. It begins with a reality TV show. 12 contestants are sent into the woods to face challenges that will test the limits of their endurance. While they're out there, something terrible happens. But how widespread is the destruction? And has it occurred naturally? Or is it man-made? So you're reading this book and you're following this main character who I don't think you ever find out her name or she has like a name that was given to her as a part of the reality TV show. So she's out in this wilderness survival reality show, sort of like, you know, alone or those other reality TV shows like that, Mm -hmm. or like Naked and Afraid, if you will. Yeah. And so she's part of the show and a natural disaster occurs or something happens and you're following along her journey and you're not sure if it was actually real or if it was a part of the show and you're trying to figure that out along with her and I don't want to give away any spoilers but it's fascinating to try and follow along because you're trying to figure out if something actually happened or if the show just has really good props (laughs) you know these dead bodies look very real are they actually real? It was so, so, so interesting to follow along. And I was on the edge of my seat. So sophisticated and provocative. It's a novel that forces us to confront the role that media plays in our perception of what is real, how readily we cast our judgments and how easily we can be manipulated. So highly recommend, especially for fans of Squid Game, Yellow Jackets, and just reality TV in general. It was quick too. It's not a very, it's not super long. So like I did, I got through, I read it in maybe like two or three hours because I just couldn't put it down. Oh, I love that. It's, I, I love the concept. Anytime that a book has been brought up recently that has the element of like, we don't know what's real and what's being presented to us in a different way. And so that's what sold me. But I also think it's fascinating that a Stephen King title from the eighties was talking reality TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, d- did he get credit for coining reality? T- like there wasn't even reality TV then was there? I was just trying to think that I, I, I honestly don't really know. There uh, must've, I think there was like game shows. If that's what they're like, if that's what they, I, Oh, I could see that. I could see the translation of like game show to this concept, but he had mm. no idea. Cause like, I think the simple no life idea what he was predicting right and so on the money like because mm. I'm pretty sure like the simple life was the first reality show in like the 90s 2000s or or something like that so unless you're talking game shows that's wow blew my mm-hmm. mind with that one <laughs> so 
I'm going to do something I haven't confidently done in a while. And that's recommend something that M. Night Shyamalan's name is attached to. (laughs) (laughs) I'll throw some shade there. Cause like, you know, yeah, he did me dirty in life with the Avatar movie, but I was always like, everyone's just being hard on him. His movies are not whatever. And then I saw the movie old and I went, okay, never mind. Uh, But (laughs) this is a series on Apple TV plus titled Servant. So Servant follows a wealthy Philly couple who are struggling in their marriage after the death of their 13-week-old son. So Sean, the husband, gives his wife Dorothy a reborn doll in the hopes of taking her out of her catatonic state from her psychotic break. Dorothy believes the doll is her real child and returns to her life as usual. So six weeks after the death, as her, mater- or her maternity leave is coming to an end, the couple hires a young nanny to take care of the doll so that Dorothy can return to work because she hasn't kind of processed the grief. She still believes that this is her baby. Um, Sean is suspicious of the nanny uh, and the mysterious power she holds, and he and his brother-in-law become wildly concerned when the reborn doll isn't a doll anymore. Ooh. yeah yeah <laughs> wild. yeah uh the show is wild um it, it's it's not only like so when i was looking for titles it's not just like creepy settings with magical mystical vibes and unreliable narrators you also kind of had to look a little bit for elements of characters who even though we don't like them we want to know more and we want to know how the story unfolds so uh, I I picked this show because it was something I binged recently and that's what like got me here, but it was, it was a a tough route to follow. And I I have to start with a quick shout out to Shirley Jackson, because in, in my like diving, the first thing that comes to mind and comes up are um, we have always lived in the castle and the haunting of Hill house. Uh, So I didn't want to go with either of them because pretty old and also several adaptations deep like we have always lived in the castle not as old on their adaptation but it was made into a movie in 2018 with tessa farmiga i believe and then the haunting of hill house was adapted into the movie the haunting with Catherine zeta jones in 1999 and then of course the netflix series the haunting of hill house much more recently uh but it, it it kind of has the energy of both of those works of like what's going on in the house, what's going on with the people inside, what are all of their motivations, why are these things happening? So I was kind of using those to set the tone. But then for some more recent reads, I wanted to first start with Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. If you haven't read it yet, it's an amazing work. And basically after receiving a frantic letter from her newlywed cousin and begging for someone to come and save her from a mysterious doom, Nomi Tabuada heads to High Place, a distant house in the Mexican countryside. She's not sure what she'll find, or her cousin's husband, a handsome Englishman, is a stranger, and Noemi knows little about the region of this Mexican countryside. She's also an unlikely rescuer because she's a glamorous debutante. Like she's not the one that's, she knows sheet gowns and the perfect red lipstick. She's not really so much a sleuth, but she's also tough and smart. And she's got this indomitable will and she's not afraid of anything. She's not afraid of her cousin's new husband who is both alluring 
and terrifying. She's not afraid of his father, who is there as this ancient patriarch. And she's not even afraid of the house itself, which has started to haunt her dreams with visions of blood and doom. She only has one ally in this house, and it's the family's youngest son, who is shy and gentle, and he seems to want to help her, but might also be hiding dark knowledge of the family's past. Um, There are so many secrets in the house of High Place. I I can't give, I can't really say too much without giving it all away. I love it. A fantastic book. Like this, uh, I have to say our typical thing, the cover, the moment I saw this book, like, hit our shelves I was like sign me up and then I flipped it over and read the back and I went oh good cover got me in content kept me staying (laughs) Uh, my next one is bitter orange by Claire Fuller from the attic of Linton's a dilapidated English country mansion Francis Jellicoe which every time I saw this I just saw Frangelico and then I was thinking of Jellicoe cats I was (laughs) I was in a weird place when I was writing my notes (laughs) So from this dilapidated English country mansion, Francis Jellicoe sees them. First, she sees Kara, dark and beautiful, then Peter, who's striking and serious. And the couple is spending the summer of 1969 in the rooms below hers while Francis is researching the architecture in the surrounding gardens. She's become distracted, though, because beneath a floorboard in her bathroom, she finds a peephole that gives her access to her neighbor's private lives. To Frances's surprise, Kara and Peter are keen to get to know her. It's the first occasion she has had anyone to call a friend, and before long, they're spending every day together, eating lavish dinners, drinking bottle after bottle of wine, and smoking cigarettes until ashes pile up among the crumbling furniture. Frances is absolutely, like, dazzled by this couple. But as the summer, you know, the heat and and the, the drawl rolls on, it becomes clear that not everything is right between Kara and Peter. The stories that Kara tells don't really add up. And Francis becomes increasingly entangled in the lives of this hedonistic couple. The boundaries between truth and lies, right and wrong, all begin to blur amid the decadence a small crime begins uh, and kind of brings on a bigger one, a crime so terrible that it will brand their lives forever. And then my last one, if you know, if you thought jumping to 1969 was a, a, a throwback, uh, The House on Vesper Sands by Pariah O'Donnell uh, will take us a little further back. We're going to go to London of 1893. High up in a house on a dark, snowy night, a lone seamstress stands by a window. So begins the swirling serpentine world in this Victorian-inspired mystery. The story of a city cloaked in shadow but burning with questions... Like, why does the seamstress jump from the window? Why is there a cryptic message stitched into her skin? And how is she connected to a rash of missing girls, all whom seem to have disappeared under similar circumstances? So we've got like a a wry detective on the case. We've got uh, side his sidekick was in love with one of the girls and then we've got the clever young journalist Octavia who sees the case as a chance to tell a story that matters um, despite her employer's want for her to stick to a women's society column so as the mystery gets peeled back layer by layer between these three characters um, the inspector his kind of gopher and then this stunning journalist, we see the secrets that lie hidden within the house on Vesper Sands. 
Wow. That one is definitely going on my TBR list for sure. That sounds fascinating. Okay. So for my last one, I wanted to switch it up a little bit. It's a classic, but there's still new seasons coming out. And it's one that I have watched with my husband so many times that every time a new season comes out, we're like, wow, it's weird to see an episode we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the amazing Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO. So Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you're not aware, Larry David was the creator of the show Seinfeld. And then he has the show on HBO that started in the early 2000s. And it's basically just about his day-to-day life and the predicaments he gets himself into with his friends and complete strangers. And to me, it's the funniest show on television. And I will argue that with anyone who has anything to say otherwise for as long as needed. So while I'm waiting for the next season to come out, one book popped up on my radar and I immediately thought of Larry David and the show. So I'm going to talk about that one now. And it's called Love at First Spite by Anna E. Collins. Falling in love is the ultimate payback in this delightful breezy rom-com about an interior designer who teams up with an enigmatic architect at her firm to get revenge on her ex the only way she knows how, by building a spite house next door. So those of you that watch Curb are immediately getting season 10, I believe it was, vibes, Mm -hmm. if you will, where Larry builds a spite coffee shop to purposely (laughs) put somebody he doesn't like out of business because he got banned from that coffee shop. It's this whole wonderful season long storyline. So I saw spite house and was like, yes. So they say living well is the best revenge, but sometimes spreading the misery seems a whole lot more satisfying. That's interior designer Danny Porter's justification for buying the vacant lot next to her ex-fiance's house, the house they were supposed to live in together before he cheated on her with their realtor. Danny plans to build a vacation rental that will A, mess with his view and his peace of mind, and B, prove that Danny is not someone to be stepped on. Welcome to Project Spite House. That plan quickly becomes complicated when Danny is forced to team up with Wyatt Montego, the handsome, haughty architect at her firm, and the only person available to draw up blueprints. Wyatt is terse and stern, the kind of man who eats a sandwich with a knife and fork, but they spend their time together on and off sites. Danny glimpses something deeper beneath that hard veneer, something surprising, vulnerable, and real. And the closer she gets to her goal, the more she wonders if winning revenge could mean losing something infinitely sweeter. So an all around great rom-com with definite Larry David influences. Oh, the energy is there for (laughs) sure. (laughs) So the, I only wanted to talk about two books compared to this one where it comes to Curb Your Enthusiasm. And this one is actually called Hitchhiking with Larry David by Paul Samuel Dolman. Okay. One summer day at Martha's Vineyard, Paul Samuel Dolman was hitchhiking and none other than Larry David pulled over and asked, you're not a serial killer or anything, are you? The comedic writer and actor not only gave him a ride, but helped him find his way. So I just tried to imagine, you know, the story somebody would have if you were hitchhiking and Larry David stopped. Well, there's a book about it. You can read the book about what happened. And it's 
it's as amazing as you think it's going to be. So desperately seeking companionship after this horrible breakup, the author of this book found himself on Martha's Vineyard and he began hitchhiking around the island and met a wide array of characters, rich, homeless, movie stars, common folk, and of course, Mr. David. So this book leaves you simultaneously laughing and crying as they all ponder the mystery and spirituality of life together while driving around Martha's Vineyard. So highly recommend for any and all fans of Larry David, as well as people just, you know, fans of heartwarming life stories. So I think that's a, we talked about a lot of dark things here. So I wanted to end on that kind of uplifting fun note for people maybe looking for a bit of a, bit of a heartwarming, nice story here. Check that out with Hitchhiking with Larry David. All right, so I am going to wrap up with one of my all-time favorite shows. I know I've brought it up before, but I will bring it up again. And I truly cannot tell you how many times I've rewatched this show. I am currently rewatching it because I'm in hibernation mode. And that show is charmed because mm-hmm. I am I am like a lifetime mom on the inside. So. <laughs> It's amazing. I love it. It's a, I think it's a perfect show. I, I think mm-hmm. it is. I'll say it. Uh, and it, it Charmed aired on the WB slash CW from October 1998 to May of 2006. But it follows the trio of sisters known as the Charmed Ones. And they are the most powerful good witches of all time who use their powers to protect innocent lives from evil beings. Each sister has a set of unique powers that grow and evolve. And while each sister is fighting for the greater good, she's also fighting for the ability to lead a normal life. In 2010, a series of comics were created that were titled season nine and season 10 that kind of wrapped up and continued the storyline of the Hollywell witches. Now, just to prove that I'm not alone in this, in 2012, there was a data research group that showed that Charmed was the second most binge watched television series on video on demand services like Netflix. And I know 2012 is a little ways away, but I just wanted to just wanted to prove that like I'm not alone here. It was the, I believe, yeah. the second most binge show. Uh, and then in 2018, a rebooted series was made on the CW that introduced a new uh, set of characters, a new cast members, uh, which is entering into its fourth season this year, which is all I will say. Just like I did with Servant, I do have a few call-out titles that I wanted to just quick list through. First off, Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. You've seen the movie, go read the book. If you didn't read the book, now's your call-out. Then I also wanted to shout out Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett's written everything, uh, but two specific series, um, the Tiffany Aching series is kind of like specific to witch content and disc world as well has kind of like witchy charmed like elements. And that's a 41 book series. So two call outs there. And then last one, I wanted to just quick, like take a moment for Anne Rice uh, with the witching hours slash lives of the Mayfair witches series. Uh, She may be known for vampires, but that doesn't mean she can't do witches. So I had to, I had to call those kind of four out there before I go into some of my more recent release picks f- for read-alikes. So my first one here is The Ones and Future Witches by Alex E. Harrow. 
1893, there's no such thing as witches. There used to be in the wild, dark days before the burnings began, but now witching is nothing but tidy charms and nursery rhymes. If the modern woman wants any measure of power, she must find it at the ballot box. But when the Eastwood sisters, James Juniper, Agnes Amaranth, and Beatrice Belladonna join the suffragists of New Salem, they begin to pursue the forgotten words and ways that might turn the women's movement into the witches' movement. Stalked by the shadows and sickness, hunted by forces who will not suffer a witch to vote, and perhaps not even live, the sisters will need to delve into the oldest magics, draw new alliances, and heal the bond between them if they want to survive. There's no such thing as witches, but there will be. My next one is The Witches of New York by Amy McKay. And this is a two book series at the moment. Uh, The year is 1880 and 200 years after the witch trials in Salem, Adelaide Thom has left her life in the sideshow to open a tea shop with another young woman who feels it's finally safe enough to describe herself as a witch. A former medical student and a guardian to sorts, keeper of spells, Eleanor St. Clair. Together, they cater to Manhattan's high society ladies specializing in cures, palmistry, and potions, and in guarding the secrets of their clients. All is well until one bright September afternoon when an enchanting young woman named Beatrice Dunn arrives at their door seeking. This is where things start to get strange and weird. She's hearing voices no one can hear. Objects are appearing out of thin air as if if they were gifts from like the beyond. And she's either touched by magic or maybe she's losing her mind. We don't know. But Eleanor wants to tread lightly and respect the magic and let it kind of manifest in the girl if that's the case. But Adelaide is seeing this as a business opportunity. So from here, they kind of start seeing where they're going to draw their paths in this or draw their lines in the sand, so to speak, is, you know, are they going to allow the testing that Dr. Quinn Brody is doing on Beatrice, or are they going to kind of tug of war for what's best for her? Oh, that sounds amazing. Right? Especially, yeah, that definitely is giving me some some charmed flashbacks almost right. from watching it years ago. That's perfect. Um, and I have one final title, kind of a read-alike. This one is, I would say like the furthest departure, but it was a wild ride. And this is we Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. So in the town of Danvers, Massachusetts, home of the original 1692 witch trials, the 1989 Danvers Falcons will do anything to make it to the state finals, even if it means tapping into some devilishly dark powers. So against a background of irresistible 80s iconography, Quanberry is weaving together this story of individual and collective progress of this enchanted team as they storm their way through an unforgettable season. Helmed by the good girl captain, Abby Putnam, a descendant of the infamous Salem accuser, Anne Putnam, and her co-captain, Jen Fiorenza, whose bleached blonde claw sees and knows all, they prove to be wily, original, and bold, flaunting society's stale notions of femininity. Through the crucible of team sport and more importantly, friendship, this comic toward a female force chronicles uh, this kind of cast of characters as they charge past every obstacle in their path to finding their glorious true selves. It's like if you crammed together the mighty ducks and charmed (laughs) and said it in the 80s. (laughs) And uh, that was, was my last book. So... 
Rachel, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. This was so fabulous. I've got some new TV shows I want to watch and some new books. I haven't read any witchy stuff in a while. So this is really making me want to. Right. Love it. Love it. Love it. So yeah, go read some witchy books. Go read some great queer books. Mm -hmm. Read some stuff about family dramas. Lots of good stuff here today. Thank you so much, Joe. Yeah, thank you for being here. Let us know what you're binging right now. Reach out to me on social media on the Professional Book Nerds Instagram. Uh, Make a story or just comment on our post for today's episode what you're currently binging or what you're currently reading uh, from this list. So Rachel, once again, thank you so much for joining me. And everyone, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and happy reading. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.